is a touchy topic. The same way I, I hope I always will remember to start this uh, by saying, as we're talking about abortion this morning, I know that it is statistically likely that someone in here has had an abortion before. I don't want you to see this as me standing up in front of you and browbeating those of you who have. I'm certainly not going to say it's okay. It's not. But have any, has anybody else in this room done something besides abortion that is not okay with God? Anybody? Anything at all? Okay. Has God had grace for you? God has grace for the, the ladies who have had abortions too. Ladies, if you're in here, before I preach this sermon about the value of human life, I need to make sure you understand that your life has value too. That God has not stopped loving you. God has not stopped wanting to have you in a relationship with Him. He has not stopped wanting to adopt you by the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. That you are just as valuable to Him as you have always been. That there is grace for you, there is mercy for you, there is love for you, and you do not need to leave today feeling that you are a lost cause or condemned and hated by the people at Stapleton Baptist Church. We love you. Whether you, if you've, if there's, nobody in here has ever had one, great. If you've had one in here and, you, and, and you're like, this church would never want me, that is a lie of the devil. We love you. God has mercy for you. God has grace for you. So please don't hear this as me standing up here hating you. Okay? We got that out of the way. Keep that in your mind if that's you. Now, y'all thought we were done with Christmas passages, didn't you? Yeah, we're going to go right back to Luke 1 today. Uh, your pastor happens to believe that this book is in fact the Word of God. Okay, let me explain what I mean by that. And this is what, whenever you hear me say this, this is what I mean when I say it's the Word of God. This book was written in two and a half languages. Okay, Old Testament is written in Hebrew. New Testament was written in Greek with some portions of each in a dialect called Aramaic. Okay, um, there are Aramaic works its way in to kind of both of them. It's kind of how we have words in English. You ever been to the cardiologist? Been to the cardiologist? Cardia is the Greek word for heart, right? But we just kind of brought it into English as cardiologist. Aramaic kind of did that. Um, so this, this is a book. It's actually 66 books. It's a miniature library composed in two and a half languages. You've got Hebrew, you've got Greek, and you've got Aramaic. When we say this is the Word of God, what we mean at Stapleton Baptist Church is that this book is the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. It says exactly what God wanted it to say. It is truth without any mixture of error whatsoever. 
And it is inerrant down to the very letters and words in the orig- excuse me, original manuscript. So that means in the original Greek and Hebrew, there is not a single whiff of an error, mistake, falsehood. There's nothing at all. And English translations are good insofar as they accurately reflect those original texts. Which is why when I preach a sermon, I want to get as close back to that original text as I can. So I go back and look at the Greek and the Hebrew. That's going to be very important today. Because when a lady's pregnant, what's she waiting on? A what? Now, believe it or not, in the year 2020 of our Lord Jesus Christ, that is a complicated question, depending on who you ask. When a lady's pregnant, what is it that she's carrying? Is it a baby? Is it a fetus? Is it an embryo? Is it the product of conception? Is it a parasite? Is it a is it an inconvenience? Is it what is it? Well, if you look at the top of my handout, I've given you the answer. It's a baby. And scripture says that very definitively. So if you'll stand with me out of the respect for the reading of God's word, look at Luke chapter one, we're going to read verses thirty-nine through forty-five. <clears throat> Luke chapter one, verses thirty-nine through forty-five. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. Leapt? Leaped? And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Father, I pray that you would preach the gospel through this passage today. That you loved us enough to send your son, because we have value. We're made in your image. And we carry that image from the womb to the tomb. Lord, change hearts today for the gospel and for life. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So, I want to break this down into three reasons that we should value the lives of children. Born, unborn, toddlers, kids, teenagers, adults. Because yes, even adults are someone's children. First, I want us to see that the product of conception is a baby. And I I said it that way because that is the answer to a question that is constantly asked in this day and age. What is the product of conception? Now, look at verse 39. It says, Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. Now, if you all remember the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth, we did this getting ready for Christmas that Elizabeth and Zacharias were an old priestly couple. Zacharias was a priest in the, in the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, he was a member of the priestly order that they served the temple in rotation. And Elizabeth was his wife. And in their, all the way to their old age, they had never had children. 
until Zacharias is miraculously greeted by Gabriel as he's going in to to burn incense in the temple at the hour of prayer and tells him that your wife is going to have a child. And Zacharias, for some reason, carries on the biblical tradition of telling the angel he has no idea what he's talking about and tells Gabriel, no, you must not understand, my wife and I are really, really old. And Gabriel says, you must not understand... I am an angel who stands before the living God who literally came from heaven to tell you God is about to do this. So here's what we're going to do. So that you don't say anything else stupid for the next nine months, we'll just make sure you don't say anything. So Zacharias leaves and they ask him if he's okay and he pulls out a piece of paper and goes, no. (laughs) Can you talk? No. No. Uh, you know, and he doesn't talk for the next nine months as his wife gets ready to have a baby. Well, Mary, shortly thereafter, also gets to talk to Gabriel, and it goes much more smoothly. Gabriel says, you're going to have a baby. And Mary goes, I don't understand, but cool. Let it be to the servant of the Lord as you have said. So then Gabriel leaves, and you would think that it would all be that easy but when the angel shows up. But Mary is the exception. So Mary, for some encouragement, maybe some confirmation, uh, goes to see her cousin Elizabeth. So she gets up and she goes. Mary is very early on in her pregnancy. Elizabeth is far enough along that she's she's showing, and you can see you you know she baby's kicking, doing that kind of thing. Um, So Mary goes to go see Zacharias and Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. Now, this is a funny word. And it's really only there in variants of the King James. If you read the KJV or the New King James, you get the word babe. Who else has baby? Baby, New American Standard people have baby. Baby right there. Crystal, what translation do you have? NLT. NLT, okay, so NLT has baby. Child, what, what are you reading? NLT, NLT okay. So you, you, got, you got baby, child, uh, but King James, babe. When I see a weird word, I kind of zero in on that because no one refers to your child as, I have, I have lain the babe to sleep. When was the last time you said that when you put your kid down to go to sleep? I have lain the babe in its bed. No, it's a very archaic old kind of word, isn't it, right? So I zeroed in on that, and I was like, I want to find out where else this word gets used. So I pull out out my, my Greek New Testament, my concordance, and I look, and this word for babe or baby or child is actually the Greek word brephos. So I'm like, I've never read the Greek word brephos. I've seen paideia. I've seen all kinds of other Greek words for child. But I've never seen the word brephos. Where else is this word? Because when you're trying to figure out what a word means, what was it your teachers in in school used to tell you? You look for what kind of clues? Context clues. Because they they provide a lot of meaning to the word that maybe the the dictionary wouldn't give you. So I wanted to see where else brephos was used. So... I put two on your handout, but I've got four on my notes. So first, look at Luke 2.16. You'll know this from the Christmas story. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the brephos lying in a manger. Jesus was a 
prefos. Okay? So rather, rather than try and say baby right now, we're going to all be Greek today. And Jesus was a prefos. He was a prefos in a manger. It's so sweet, isn't it? The little brefos. So he's laying in a manger. Second, if you go to Luke 18, Jesus has grown up. He is no longer a brefos. He's now an andros. He's now a man. Then they also brought brefoi to him that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. This is a very famous passage in Luke 18. Jesus is out preaching and the crowds are all around him and the parents, uh, they just want Jesus to bless their children. They're brefoi. So they bring them to him so that he might touch them. But the disciples are like, no, 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 he's busy, he's busy, keep him away. And then you remember Jesus says, no, let the little children come to me. Let the little brefoi come to me. You know, that's kind of what Jesus is, you know, he says children. I didn't check the next time to see if it said brefoi. But this time in Luke 18, 15, it is brefoi, the plural of brephos. In 2 Timothy 3, 15, which is also on your handout. Paul is talking to Timothy and he's trying to encourage him. And he says, and that from childhood, that is a form of the word brephos. You have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ, which is in Christ Jesus. How many of you know a baby who can learn Scripture? Anybody? Now, how old do you think a kid needs to be before they can start processing words as complex as Scripture? What are you thinking? Maybe three? Four? Before they can learn the most basic things? Right? Okay. So, what, I mean, Margaret is now two and a half and she's just started singing Jesus Loves Me and she can, she can get some basic truths. She's trying to figure out. She's trying to figure out who this Jesus is, who this God is. So you figure two and a half, three, you can start hitting the basics, right? Okay, so apparently you can be a brephos from the womb all the way up to four, five, maybe six years old. The same word, okay? And then Acts chapter 7, verse 19, when Stephen is giving his exposition to the, the Jewish ruling class because they've rejected Christ and they're, they're getting ready to stone him. Okay? He's giving this kind of rundown of Hebrew history and he talks about Pharaoh. And he says, This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their brephoi so that they might not live. Talking about when Pharaoh uh, called the Jewish population in Egypt by executing all of the children under two. Those were brephoi. Those were children. So here's my point. So Josh, I didn't come here for a language or grammar lesson. But remember, this is the Word of God, right? So it's important down to the very word choice. Word choice. If God had wanted there to be a different word for a baby in the womb than a baby outside the womb, He could have done it, couldn't He? But He didn't do it. 
It's a brephos here, it's a brephos here, and it's a brephos here. It's the same word. So the application kind of makes itself. You know, if you wouldn't do it to a brephos outside the womb, you probably shouldn't do it to a brephos inside the womb. It's pretty basic language, right? The reason I bring this up is because when it comes to abortion, a lot of word games are played. Lots and lots and lots of word games are played. You will never find pro-abortion activists using the word baby. You won't do it. Why? Because as soon as you use the word baby to refer to the product of conception, they use that, that term a lot. As soon as you use the word baby, now it's a person. Now it's a person. And you don't abort a person. You kill them. Abort itself is the concept of stop something before it starts. Think of a military operation. If there's a military operation that's about to take place, and they're locked and loaded, the planes are ready to go, the, the, the bombs are about to drop, or the missiles are about to fire, they're waiting on the order from their commander to either go or what? Or abort. If you abort, the missiles don't fire, the bombs don't drop, the whole thing is called off because it hasn't started yet. You can't abort something that's already started. If it's a brephos, it's too late to abort. And Scripture is very clear that it is a brephos from conception all the way up into childhood. Say, well, well, no, there's, there's embryo, there's fetus, there's baby, there's all this. No, if we're Christians, what is the standard for faith and practice? This right here. What did it say? It's a baby. It's a baby. It's a baby that has intrinsic human value. Because Genesis says God created them male and female in His image, in His likeness. Do you understand that you are valuable to God because you're a little picture of Him? Every single one of us. And you always have been. Always. If you wouldn't do it to a brephos inside the outside the womb, you probably shouldn't do it to a brephos inside the womb. The product of conception is a baby. Second, I want us to see that the baby is separate from the womb. So <clears throat> Elizabeth has just told Mary that the 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 babe, the brephos, <laughs> leapt in her womb, and she 
she, she speaks out with a loud, or, or the baby has just leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth speaks out with a loud voice and says, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe, the brephos, leaped in my womb for joy. Let's be, let's be uh, grammatical people again. Let's look at these verses. <clears throat> she says, Elizabeth says, blessed are you among women, right? She's talking to Mary. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. How many blessings? Two. Who was blessed? Who was she pronouncing blessing on? Mary and Jesus. So, point one, if we go back, the product of conception is what? It's a what? It's a baby. So, the fruit of Mary's womb is what? It's not a what, it's a who. It's a baby, right? So, there are two people receiving Elizabeth's blessing here. Mary's receiving Elizabeth's blessing. And the fruit of her womb, which is a who, we know him as Jesus, is receiving her blessing. <clears throat> then she says, the mother, now who's the mother? Mary, of my Lord. How many people? The mother of my Lord. Two people. The voice of your greeting, whose greeting? Mary's. Sounded in my ears. Whose ears? Elizabeth's. The babe, who is the baby? This is John. John the Baptist. In her womb. So three people left in my womb. Goes back to Elizabeth. This language over the course of these few verses identify not two people, Mary and Elizabeth, but four people. There's Mary, the fruit of her womb, Elizabeth, and the babe in her womb. Now, why is that significant? Because a common argument in favor of abortion can be summed up in these four words. My body, my choice. I reject that argument. For two reasons. First, nobody actually believes that. Even the people who say it don't actually believe that. Let me give you an example. No state in the union will allow you to walk down the street naked without repercussions. What would you do if your next door neighbor decided to dance in your, dance in your front yard unclothed? You're going to call the police, aren't you? I'm sorry for the emotional damage I just did you by asking that question. <clears throat> I apologize. But I'm, I'm doing it to make a point. You would call the police, wouldn't you? Why? Yes, because there's a crazy person out here dancing in my front yard without their clothes on. But isn't that their choice that they made with their body? Why would you think you could call the police on them for that? Isn't it their body, their choice? 
You say, well, yeah, but it affects me. Isn't that interesting how the things we do with our bodies affect other people? Isn't that interesting? Also, if you were to ever call a suicide prevention hotline, they would never give you the counsel. Well, it's your body. It's your choice. They would never do that, would they? That if, if they do that, it's not a suicide prevention hotline, is it? They're not preventing anything. The reason that suicide prevention hotlines exist is because they agree with us that human lives have intrinsic value, so they should be preserved. They would wholeheartedly agree. Yes, it might be your body, but you should not have the choice to be able to kill it. We want to save it. See, nobody actually believes my body, my choice. This is purely an abortion argument. It doesn't extrapolate cleanly to the rest of human experience. You can't do it. That's one of the best philosophical tests for an argument is if you apply it, if you apply it uniformly across human life, does it consistently work? No, it, my body, my choice doesn't. And there are myriad other applications of it not working, but those are two of the most goofy slash memorable ones I could give you. Because you won't forget the second one, and I hope that God will give you grace to forget the first. So, so first, nobody actually believes it. Second, my body, my choice doesn't apply because Scripture very clearly just told us that a baby's body is not its mother's body. A baby's body is not his mother's body. Scripture is perfectly clear in this passage, among others, that a child is separate from his mother. So that being the case, abortion is not a mother choosing to do something to her body. It's a mother choosing to do something to someone else's body. What I'm about to say might be incendiary, but that's, that's why they give me this big heavy thing and I can duck behind it if I have to. There is no Christian pro-abortion stance. It does not exist. To say I'm not for abortion, I'm for the mother's right to choose, why not finish that sentence? Finish the sentence. I'm for the right to choose what? To choose to do what? See, when you say I, you have the right to choose, finish the sentence. Say it. Say what you have. That, that's rhetorical. You don't have to say it, right? But, but, but those of you who did, yes. The right to choose to end a baby's life. See, more word games. Choice is a lot more positive. Woo! Choose freedom. But choose what? Go back to Genesis 3. Y'all, humanity has... You've always had the right to choose. 
Nobody can take the right to choose away from you because God gave you the right to choose. He gave humanity the right to choose when He put that tree in the middle of the garden and said of all the trees of the garden you may freely eat. But in the day you eat of this tree, you will surely die. He did not build a big giant fence around it. He did not put snipers in the nests around the tree. He did not put an electric... You ever see those little doggy things where you put a little collar on the dog and there's the Invisifence? He didn't give Adam and Eve the little shock necklaces and say, all right, now I'm going... No. He gave them the choice, didn't He? You've got the right to choose. But just because you can choose it doesn't mean it's good. Choice itself is good, but the choices we make are bad. And having the right to choose doesn't make what you choose good. So when you say, woo, right to choose, listen, you've got the ability to choose. You do. You always will. Christians, the reality is, even if we succeed in seeing the laws changed, will abortion go away? No. No, it won't. Abortion happened before 1979. It'll happen in the future if the laws ever change, Lord willing, and it's outlawed again. Ultimately, we're not trying to change laws. We're trying to change hearts. We want to see people saved and understand that God loves us enough and values enough because we're made in His image that He loved us enough to send Jesus to die in our place. And there's a cognitive dissonance in my brain. I can't put it together how you could understand that God values humans enough to send His own Son to die so that we could live. And then simultaneously saying this baby's life is not worth allowing it to have. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't see how you can hold both beliefs in your brain at the same time. I don't get it. Jeremiah 1.5, God says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. This was not an embryo that became Jeremiah at some point. That baby was always Jeremiah. That as God was putting the cells together and developing the heart and developing the nervous system and developing his spine and his little bones and his little fingers, that was always Jeremiah. That was always God's plan for Jeremiah. Psalm 139, 13-16 says, You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully raw in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet Unformed, And in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Y'all, a baby in the womb is a person. A complete person. (coughs) 
A baby's body is not its mother's body. It's the baby's body. So, the product of conception is a baby. The baby is separate from the womb. It's its own, it's its own person. And then finally, I want us to see that there is no blessing in insisting otherwise. Elizabeth says in verse 45, Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. So she's telling Mary, Hey, everything that Gabriel told you, you can take to the bank. It's going to come true. There is a blessing for you in this child's future. Now, what does blessed mean? It's a complicated word. If you look it up in a Bible dictionary, it's, it's very strongly, it's the concept of happiness. But it's not just happiness. It's happiness with a divine source. So, when I go through the McDonald's and Wren's, and I order a McFlurry, and actually get one, Yes, Lord. I'm happy. But that happiness is coming from the 12,000 calories in that cup. I would not think of myself as blessed, though you could make the argument that I got the McFlurry due to divine intervention, because normally that doesn't happen. But that's not typically how we would think of being blessed. But... Whenever God just does something so neat. He finds some way to encourage me or affirm me or I see him do something cool in someone's life that I know or I see something in the area. You just get this sense of happiness that, man, I might not derive, when I see God do something in your life, I might not get any personal benefit from it. Right? Like, if I had not known about it, my life would have kept going the same way it was going to go before. But that happiness that I get, it's got a divine source that I can rejoice in God doing something cool. That's happiness with a divine source. It's different from just regular happiness. And Elizabeth says, Blessed is she who believed... Now, my favorite Greek word of this entire sermon prep is this one. Get ready for this. Blessed is she who... Pistusasa. Pistusasa. It's from the Greek word pistuo. It means to believe or literally to faith. To faith. It is faith become action. Okay, And it's in what's called the aorist tense. That means there's a specific point in time at which Mary faithed, at which Mary believed. Now, when in talking about Mary's pregnancy with Jesus, Elizabeth says, blessed is, is she who pistusasa, she who believed. I'm going to say it as often as I can, y'all. It's fun. Blessed is she who believed. 
What specific moment did Mary believe when she found out? She found out she was pregnant and Gabriel said, this is who this child is going to be. And she pissed Jesus on. She believed at that moment that Gabriel's, all of his words were true. That this was Jesus' future and she was on board. She was there for it. I am ready. And Elizabeth says, blessed are you who did that. Who believed That's where this divine joy comes from that this child, that I am fully on board for this child's future. I'm looking forward to where this is going. Now, Gabriel, as far as I know, is not still in the business of making pregnancy announcements. Okay? Any of you mothers in here, did Gabriel ever tell you? No? Okay, I did not think so. That was kind of a unique thing. But doesn't God's word say something about all children? Sure does. Psalm 127 verses 3 through 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Y'all, babies are good. Even when they don't feel like it. They're good. We like babies. Say, well, Josh, how do we know it? Why why did we, even once we expanded the nursery rotation, why did we go through the motions of making sure we could hire someone to be backup if we needed more people? Say, we only have one baby. Yeah, but we want more. We want more. We want more babies in the nursery. We want more kids in the church. We like kids because they're good. God says they're a blessing. Y'all, when a kid makes you laugh, that's the best laughter. That is the best laughter. When a kid makes you happy, that's the best. We love kids. We're supposed to love kids. But somehow or another, in the same play he's always made, Satan convinces us that all of the goodness that God has given us is not the best goodness. That there is something out there that God is holding back from us. See, in the garden, back when Satan tempted Eve, Satan tempted her by saying, No, you're not going to die. God just knows that if you have this, oh, he's holding out on you. He's keeping you back from something that would fully realize your potential. I wrestled over whether I would do this. But I'm going to stop wrestling and just do it. I don't watch award shows. Because I don't watch most of the things that are on the award shows. So I don't know what most of it is. This made national news after the Golden Globes last week. I won't read the name of who said it. You can go look it up if you'd like. But it's a direct quote from an acceptance speech. And I don't feel ashamed to read it. Well, I feel saddened to read it out loud. But I don't feel like I am 
reading something that should not be read in public because she said it on a national stage. She said, I'm grateful in her acceptance speech. I'm grateful for the acknowledgement of the choices I've made. And I'm also grateful to have lived at a moment in our society where choice exists. Because as women and as girls, things can happen to our bodies that are not our choice. I wouldn't have been able to do this, act, win a Golden Globe, etc. Without employing a woman's right to choose, to choose when to have my children and with whom. Now, I know my choices might look different than yours, but thank God or whomever you pray to that we live in a country founded on the principle that I'm free to live by my faith and you're free to live by yours. So women, 18 to 118, when it's time to vote, please do so in your own self-interest. It's what men have been doing for years. Understand the implicit argument in the paragraph that I just read. If I had had the baby that I chose not to have... I would not be able to win this little gold statue. Y'all, people have been sacrificing babies to statues for thousands of years. Nothing's changed. Satan dangles that little fleeting worldly temptation in front of you and says, God's holding back. Just give up all the good he's offered you and you can have this little moldy piece of fruit. Just give up that human life that is totally and completely dependent on you and you can have a statue that will collect dust at your funeral. Go ahead. You can have it. You can have all the kingdoms of this world if you will just bow down and worship me. Now y'all, it was chilling when I realized that was what was being said. This idea that there is a blessing that you're giving up That I can't do this if I have kids. Are you really willing to pay that price? Are you? Is there anything worth that? Can you wrap a college degree up in a blanket and lay it in a crib after singing it to sleep? Can you watch your Golden Globe Award play t-ball? Can you take that promotion and teach it how to eat sweet potatoes while they dribble all over its chin? No. You can make all the money in the world. You can have all the promotions you want. You can have all the glamour. You can have all the degrees. You can have everything that you want to trade for it. But you know what? One day you will regret that that child is not there to see it. Don't believe the lie that you want. Because that's what it is. It's a lie. And our job here is to tell you the truth. 
God doesn't just love you. He loves children. He loves babies. And He values you. How do I know He values you? Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates His own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how I know God values you. 